Chapter Four of the D'Artagnan Romances, Volume Two, Twenty Years After, by Alexander Dumas, translated by William Robson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Anne of Austria at the age of forty-six. When left alone with Benoît, Mazarin was for some minutes lost in thought. He had gained much information, but not enough. Mazarin was a cheat at the card table. This is a detail preserved to us by Brienne. He called it using his advantages. He now determined not to begin the game with D'Artagnan till he knew completely all his adversary's cards. "'My lord, have you any commands?' asked Benouin. "'Yes, yes,' replied Mazarin. "'Light me. I am going to the queen.' Benouin took up a candlestick and led the way. There was a secret communication between the cardinal's apartments and those of the queen, and through this corridor—this secret passage is still to be seen in the Palais Royal—Mazarin passed whenever he wished to visit Anne of Austria. In the bedroom in which this passage ended, Benouin encountered Madame de Beauvais, like himself entrusted with the secret of these subterranean love affairs and Madame de Beauvais undertook to prepare Anne of Austria, who was in her oratory with the young king Louis Fourteenth, to receive the cardinal. Anne, reclining in a large easy chair, her head supported by her hand, her elbow resting on a table, was looking at her son, who was turning over the leaves of a large book filled with pictures. This celebrated woman fully understood the art of being dull with dignity, it was her practice to pass hours either in her oratory or in her room without either reading or praying. When Madame de Beauvais appeared at the door and announced the cardinal, the child, who had been absorbed in the pages of Quintus Curtius, enlivened as they were by engravings of Alexander's feats of arms, frowned and looked at his mother. "'Why,' he said, "'does he enter without first asking for an audience?' Anne colored slightly. The Prime Minister, she said, is obliged in these unsettled days to inform the Queen of all that is happening from time to time, without exciting the curiosity or remarks of the court. But Richelieu never came in this manner, said the pertinacious boy. How can you remember what Monsieur de Richelieu did? You were too young to know about such things. I do not remember what he did but I have inquired and I have been told all about it. And who told you about it? asked Anne of Austria with a movement of impatience. I know that I ought never to name the persons who answer my questions, answered the child, for if I do I shall learn nothing further. At this very moment Mazarin entered. The king rose immediately, took his book, closed it, and went to lay it down on the table, near which he continued standing, in order that Mazarin might be obliged to stand also. Mazarin contemplated these proceedings with a thoughtful glance. They explained what had occurred that evening. He bowed respectfully to the king, who gave him a somewhat cavalier reception, but a look from his mother reproved him for the hatred which from his infancy Louis Fourteenth had entertained toward Mazarin and he endeavored to receive the minister's homage with civility. Anne of Austria sought to read in Mazarin's face the occasion of this unexpected visit, since the cardinal usually came to her apartment only after everyone had retired. 
The minister made a slight sign with his head, whereupon the queen said to Madame Beauvais, "'It is time for the king to go to bed. Call Laporte.' The queen had several times already told her son that he ought to go to bed, and several times Louis had coaxingly insisted on staying where he was, but now he made no reply, but turned pale and bit his lips with anger. In a few minutes Laporte came into the room. The child went directly to him without kissing his mother. "'Well, Louis,' said Anne, "'why do you not kiss me?' "'I thought you were angry with me, madame. You sent me away.' "'I do not send you away, but you have had the smallpox, and I am afraid that sitting up late may tire you.' "'You had no fears of my being tired when you ordered me to go to the palace today to pass the odious decrees which have raised the people to rebellion.' "'Sire!' interposed Laporte, in order to turn the subject. "'To whom does your majesty wish me to give the candle?' "'To anyone, Laporte,' the child said, and then added in a loud voice, "'To anyone except Mancini.' Now Mancini was a nephew of Mazarin's, and was as much hated by Louis as the cardinal himself, although placed near his person by the minister.' and the king went out of the room without either embracing his mother or even bowing to the cardinal. "'Good,' said Mazarin. "'I am glad to see that his majesty has been brought up with a hatred of a dissimulation.' "'Why do you say that?' asked the queen almost timidly. "'Why, it seems to me that the way in which he left us needs no explanation. Besides, his majesty takes no pains to conceal how little affection he has for me. That, however, does not hinder me from being entirely devoted to his service, as I am to that of your majesty. "'I ask your pardon for him, cardinal,' said the queen. "'He is a child, not yet able to understand his obligations to you.' The cardinal smiled. "'But—' continued the queen you have doubtless come for some important purpose what is it then mazarin sank into a chair with the deepest melancholy painted on his countenance it is likely he replied that we shall soon be obliged to separate unless you love me well enough to follow me to italy why cried the queen how is that because, as they say in the opera of Thisbe, the whole world conspires to break our bonds. You jest, sir, answered the queen, endeavoring to assume something of her former dignity. Alas, I do not, madam, rejoined Mazarin. Mark well what I say. The whole world conspires to break our bonds. Now— as you are one of the whole world, I mean to say that you also are deserting me. Cardinal! Heavens! Did I not see you the other day smile on the Duke of Orleans, or rather at what he said? And what was he saying? He said this, madame. Mazarin is a stumbling block. Send him away, and all will then be well. "'What do you wish me to do?' "'Oh, madame, 
you are queen queen forsooth when am i at the mercy of every scribbler in the palais royal who covers waste paper with nonsense or of every country squire in the kingdom nevertheless you have still the power of banishing from your presence those whom you do not like that is to say whom you do not like returned the queen i persons whom i do not like yes indeed who sent away madame de chevreuse after she had been persecuted twelve years under the last reign a woman of intrigue who wanted to keep up against me the spirit of cabal she had raised against monsieur de richelieu who dismissed madame de hautefort that friend so loyal that she refused the favor of the king that she might remain in mine a prude who told you every night as she undressed you that it was a sin to love a priest just as if one were a priest because one happens to be a cardinal who ordered monsieur de beaufort to be arrested an incendiary the burden of whose song was his intention to assassinate me you see cardinal replied the queen that your enemies are mine that is not enough madame it is necessary that your friends should also be mine my friends monsieur the queen shook her head alas i have them no longer how is it that you have no friends in your prosperity when you had many in your adversity it is because in my prosperity i forgot those old friends monsieur because i have acted like queen marie de medicis who returning from her first exile treated with contempt all those who had suffered for her and being proscribed a second time died at cologne abandoned by every one even by her own son well let us see said mazarin isn't there still time to repair the evil search among your friends your oldest friends what do you mean monsieur nothing else than i say search alas i look around me in vain i have no influence with any one monsieur is as usual led by his favorite uh, yesterday it was choisy to-day it is la riviere to-morrow it will be someone else monsieur le prince is led by the coadjutor uh, who is led by madame de guemenet therefore madame i ask you to look not among your friends of to-day but among those of other times among my friends of other times said the queen yes among your friends of other times among those who aided you to contend against the duc de richelieu and even to conquer him what is he aiming at murmured the queen looking uneasily at the cardinal yes continued his eminence 
under certain circumstances with that strong and shrewd mind your majesty possesses aided by your friends you were able to repel the attacks of that adversary i said the queen i suffered that is all yes said mazarin as women suffer in avenging themselves come let us come to the point do you know monsieur de rochefort one of my bitterest enemies the faithful friend of cardinal richelieu i know that and we sent him to the bastille said mazarin is he at liberty asked the queen no still there but i only speak of him in order that i may introduce the name of another man do you know monsieur de d'artagnan he added looking steadfastly at the queen anne of austria received the blow with a beating heart has the gascon been indiscreet she murmured to herself then said aloud d'artagnan stop an instant the name seems certainly familiar d'artagnan there was a musketeer who was in love with one of my women poor young creature she was poisoned on my account that's all you know of him asked mazarin the queen looked at him surprised you seem sir she remarked to be making me undergo a course of cross-examination which you answer according to your fancy replied mazarin tell me your wishes and i will comply with them the queen spoke with some impatience well madame said mazarin bowing i desire that you give me a share in your friends as i have shared with you the little industry and talent that heaven has given me these circumstances are grave and it will be necessary to act promptly still said the queen i thought that we were finally quit of monsieur de beaufort yes you saw only the torrent that threatened to overturn everything and you gave no attention to the still water there is however a proverb current in france relating to water which is quiet continue said the queen well then madame not a day passes in which i do not suffer affronts from your princes and your lordly servants all of them automata who do not perceive that i wind up the spring that makes them move nor do they see that beneath my quiet demeanor lies the still scorn of an injured irritated man who has sworn to himself to master them one of these days we have arrested monsieur de beaufort but he is the least dangerous among them there is the prince de conde the hero of rocroy do you think of him yes madame often and often but pazienza as we say in italy next after monsieur de conde comes the duke of orleans what are you saying the first prince of the blood the king's uncle 
no not the first prince of the blood not the king's uncle but the base conspirator the soul of every cabal who pretends to lead the brave people who are weak enough to believe in the honor of the prince of the blood not the prince nearest to the throne not the king's uncle i repeat but the murderer of chalet of montmorency and of cinq mars who is playing now the same game he played long ago and who thinks that he would win the game because he has a new adversary instead of a man who threatened a man who smiles but he is mistaken i shall not leave so near the queen that source of a discord with which the deceased cardinal so often caused the anger of the king to rage above the boiling point anne blushed and buried her face in her hands what am i to do she said bowed down beneath the voice of her tyrant endeavor to remember the names of those faithful servants who crossed the channel in spite of monsieur de richelieu tracking the roads along which they passed by their blood to bring back to your majesty certain jewels given by you to a buckingham anne arose full of majesty and as if touched by a spring and looking at the cardinal with the haughty dignity which in the days of her youth had made her so powerful you are insulting me she said i wish continued mazarin finishing as it were the speech this sudden movement of the queen had cut i wish in fact that you should now do for your husband what you formerly did for your lover again that accusation cried the queen i thought that calumny was stifled or extinct you have spared me till now but since you speak of it once for all i tell you madame i do not ask you to tell me said mazarin astounded by this returning courage i will tell you all replied anne listen there were in truth at that epoch four devoted hearts four loyal spirits four faithful swords who saved more than my life my honor ah you confess it exclaimed mazarin is it only the guilty whose honor is at the sport of others sir and cannot women be dishonored by appearances yes appearances were against me and i was about to suffer dishonor however i swear i was not guilty i swear it by the queen looked around her for some sacred object by which she could swear and taking out of a cupboard hidden in the tapestry a small coffer of rosewood set in silver and laying it on the altar i swear she said by these sacred relics that buckingham was not my lover what relics are those by which you swear asked mazarin smiling i am incredulous the queen untied from around her throat a small golden key which hung there and presented it to the cardinal open sir she said and look for yourself mazarin opened the coffer a knife covered with rust and two letters one of which was stained with blood alone met his gaze 
"'What are these things?' he asked. "'What are these things?' replied Anne with queen-like dignity, extending toward the open coffer an arm, despite the lapse of years, still beautiful. "'These two letters are the only ones I ever wrote to him. This knife is the knife with which Felton stabbed him. Read the letters and see if I have lied or spoken the truth.' But Mazarin, notwithstanding this permission, instead of reading the letters took the knife which the dying buckingham had snatched out of the wound and sent by laporte to the queen the blade was red for the blood had become rust after a momentary examination during which the queen became as white as the cloth which covered the altar on which she was leaning he put it back into the coffer with an involuntary shudder it is well madame i believe your oath no no read exclaimed the queen indignantly read i command you for i am resolved that everything shall be finished to-night and never will i recur to this subject again do you think she said with a ghastly smile that i shall be inclined to reopen this coffer to answer any future accusations mazarin overcome by this determination read the two letters in one the queen asked for the ornaments back again this letter had been conveyed by d'artagnan and had arrived in time the other was that which laporte had placed in the hands of the duke of buckingham warning him that he was about to be assassinated that communication had arrived too late it is well madame said mazarin nothing can gainsay such a testimony sir replied the queen closing the coffer and leaning her hand upon it if there is anything to be said it is that i have always been ungrateful to the brave men who saved me that i have given nothing to that gallant officer d'artagnan you were speaking of just now but my hand to kiss and this diamond as she spoke she extended her beautiful hand to the cardinal and showed him a superb diamond which sparkled on her finger it appears she resumed that he sold it he sold it in order to save me another time to be able to send a messenger to the duke to warn him of his danger he sold it to monsieur dessessart on whose finger i remarked it i bought it from him but it belongs to d'artagnan give it back to him sir and since you have such a man in your service make him useful thank you madame said mazarin i will profit by the advice and now added the queen her voice broken by her emotion have you any other question to ask me nothing the cardinal spoke in his most conciliatory manner except to beg of you to forgive my unworthy suspicions i love you so tenderly that i cannot help being jealous even of the past a smile which was indefinable passed over the lips of the queen since you have no further interrogations to make leave me i beseech you she said i wish after such a scene 
to be alone. Mazarin bent low before her. I will retire, madame. Do you permit me to return? Yes, tomorrow. The cardinal took the queen's hand and pressed it with an air of gallantry to his lips. Scarcely had he left her when the queen went into her son's room and inquired from Laporte if the king was in bed. Laporte pointed to the child who was asleep. Anne ascended the steps side of the bed and softly kissed the placid forehead of her son. Then she retired as silently as she had come, merely saying to Laporte, "'Try, my dear Laporte, to make the king more courteous to Monsieur le Cardinal, to whom both he and I are under such important obligations.'" End of chapter 4 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia